From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. After a slow start to the new year, it was a week of firsts for Todd Golden, with his first SEC win over Georgia immediately followed by his first conference road victory. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter and the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, to discuss a banner week for basketball, the latest football players to come through the portal, an Olympic-sized meet for gymnastics, and whether or not Georgia has taken the college football mantle from Alabama in the PAT. Then, women's basketball guard Bertie Rimdahl shares how she ended up in Gainesville all the way from Denmark and the culture shock that followed. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet health care destination, with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. As we get rolling on this week's roundtable, we have FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry, and we have the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, to discuss a, a, a variety of topics, a busy news week. Uh, let us start with basketball. Um, Chris, a week ago when we were talking about the start of the SEC, it was not good news. Florida suffered a couple of close losses, two very different games, but both ended with the same result. Uh, and then going into this past weekend, you know, there was a lot of pressure on this team because of the fact that Mike White was coming to town with his new team, you never want to lose to that to the the old guy, especially when it's to a rival. Um, so there was a lot of pressure around that game, and then obviously Florida wins that game, and then takes some momentum on the road to LSU, gets another win. So I guess let's start by talking about Saturday and the way that that really set the table for a bit of a turnaround here, and, and a sense that maybe some things are starting to come together, and this team is figuring out how to win close games. Yeah, I think uh, obviously that was a you know awkward kind of afternoon of of basketball with Mike coming back and having so many familiar faces uh, around him, people familiar to us from his staff, and um, I think both teams handled it very well. It was a very it was, it was a very well played game. Uh, both teams had uh, had big leads uh, that they let get away. Um, it came down uh, to the last say you know minute and a half or so in Florida. Made a couple plays to make the game. Uh, Kyle Lofton had his best game as a Gator. Um, uh, Riley Kugel, uh, the freshman uh, guard, was summoned on late, and Florida played a little bit more of a configure of a reconfigured lineup, a smaller lineup that they actually used uh, uh, in a hybrid situation a couple days later for the for for the game they won at LSU. But um, just getting that first win was really important, obviously, to the team. Throw out the Mike White stuff or, or, or keep the Mike White stuff in if you want to make it that much more important. Um, I'm of the belief that when you go back and you look at, a, at, a, at the resume, it, would have, it wouldn't have mattered if the Gators had beaten Texas and lost Georgia. It wouldn't have mattered if the, or, or, or what played out happened. I mean, Florida fans obviously wanted to beat Mike White in his return game. Um, but uh, I think I said this time last week, uh, regardless of uh, 
the situation and the subplots and everything, uh, Florida needed to start winning games. I mean, I think when we talked uh, last time, they were seven and seven and zero and two in the league. Well, now they're nine and seven, then they're two and two in the league, and they got a road win at LSU. And everyone knows road wins in this league are very difficult to find. LSU, Florida went to Baton Rouge. LSU was twelve and three. Uh, they beat Arkansas at home. They lost a couple games. They were one and two. Um, but uh, Florida took a punch early. They're down, you know, they're they're down seven nothing out of the box. Can't hit a shot as usual. Uh, they've they've really been poor starting team thus far. I think they missed. A, they were zero for four at the and, and hadn't scored at the uh, at the under sixteen timeout, but just kind of responded and and did really knuckle under. And uh, you know the the credit, Todd afterward made sure that he said he goes. You know we we give you guys. We try to put you in positions to wins, but you have to do it. And I think the guys that are, that have done it the last couple of days, uh, have, excuse me, the last couple of games have been Colin Castleton, have been Kyle Lofton. And it's been Myron Jones, who, uh, you know, Myron Jones takes a lot of darts because he was a very prolific three-point scorer, and he hasn't been since he got here. Um, But he's made a few shots the last couple games. And more importantly, he's uh, he's provided a kind of steady hand and been like a a Robin to Kyle Lofton's Batman in in the backcourt to kind of run offense. And they, they share ball handling duties. He's... He's played, I, I want to say, 60 minutes, 60 consecutive minutes without a turnover in two SEC games. Um, that's hard to do, man. And 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 this, and this is a guy. He's not he's not Curly Neal, okay? It's he's just he just makes good decisions. Um, he he's getting assists. He's he's getting rebounds. He's playing decent defense. He's hit a couple threes in each. I think he was three for four actually in the Georgia game. Um, but the thing that really was impressive, I think, at Baton Rouge, Adam was. Colin Castleton only had three field goals, but he finished with 18 points. I don't know why, but LSU decided they wanted to single team him. Um, all these other teams have been sending two, sometimes three guys at him when he got the ball on the block. Uh, LSU decided to go one guy. And when he's a highly skilled, pretty good footwork guy in the low post, and he got, if he didn't score, he got to the free throw line. He finished 12 of 15 from the line. Uh, he, I mean, after having seven blocks against Georgia, he had five against LSU. I think he had, uh, he had five assists, uh, uh, in each of the games. So he's playing at a high level across the board. And he's been, he's always been a, a pretty good, uh, rim protector. But what we're having now, what is, is happening with this team, Adam, is a defensive identity is, is it was being forged a couple of weeks ago. It's been like that, that's who they are. It's six straight games where opponents haven't been able to reach 40% shooting. Uh, LSU was 0 for 11 from three in the second half, I think, and 32% in the period for the game, excuse me. Um, so uh, that's who they are right now. It may, it may not be particularly pleasing. They're not, an, they're not a very good outside shooting team, at least not now. Um, and it's a pretty good sample size to suggest that maybe this is, this is what it's going to have to be. But it's something you can you can kind of hang your hat on, and there's a now they got to start like I've already said they got to stack wins. Now they got to start stacking some good wins. At nine and seven and two and two, they got Missouri coming in this week. Uh, Missouri's a pretty damn good team. Are already beat Kentucky pretty handily and beat Illinois earlier in the season when Illinois was a top fifteen team in a neutral site game. So uh, they're under a new coach also, Dennis Gates. I think they're thirteen or fourteen and two. Um, 
going into their uh, uh, midweek game at Texas A&M. So this was the this will this will be the next test for uh, a team. Missouri is very fast. They play. I think well, they're one of the top five uh, pace of play teams in the country. Jack a lot of three pointers, score a lot of points. Highly efficient offensive team. So it would be a good test for the Florida defense. Really, really good test. A different kind of test. Yeah, Adam, you're right. It, it has been a, a good week and a better week, and, and as a result, a winning week for the Gators, no no doubt. And I think there's a couple of things now finally emerging with this basketball team. One is I think that we're learning that they're, they're a really good defensive team, um, which had kept them in close games prior to this week, but now has really started to sharpen and, uh, and become a strength of this team. The other thing is uh, we're starting to see – the fifth-year guys, I'm talking about Myron Jones, Kyle Lofton, Colin Castleton maybe in particular, that have um, started to lead the way here a bit, whether it be how this team is going to play, how this team executes a game plan, um, and then kind of the toughness part of it too. So while at the same time this team's offense has struggled <laughs> in spots, uh, it has not doomed them in a game. They've been able to recover from that. In a lot of ways, I think this is an improved basketball team because, again, they've turned the corner in finding their defensive identity and then now getting the leadership from those fifth-year guys. Just in general, how important is its confidence, right? I mean, you're, you're around this team. You're on the road with these guys. Um, what, what's, the, what's the mood like when they, when they can pull out wins like this as opposed to coming so close but falling short like they did most notably against Auburn? Yeah, and and I think that the, maybe it was it was further in the dumps with the home loss to Texas A&M. But the win against Georgia was big. Um, you mentioned the underlying factors in that game, Mike White's return. Um, the, you know, Going up against your former coach will kind of sharpen your focus, but can also heighten the joy of winning or, or deepen the depression of losing a game. So to win that game, I, I, I think, was a real confidence booster for this team. Uh, the ability to finish in that game, having been unable to finish in prior tight games, uh, lifts the team as well. Look, unlike the NBA, college basketball has a much smaller sample size. Each game matters a little bit more because you have fewer opportunities. Um, so in this case, the confidence alone gained in that Georgia win is, I think, something that helped them kind of right the ship against LSU and finish and get that first road conference win as well. So, So now – you put something together and you're back home on Saturday to take on a dangerous Missouri team. Always lots of things happening on the football side. Uh, Scott, I know there's more guys incoming. This is the, the transfer portal time of year. It's like recruiting on steroids. So many graphics, so many guys announcing they've committed. And I'm like, where'd that guy come from? How long was he there? How much eligibility does he have? It's a, uh, it's a wild world, but what are the, the latest twists as far as it relates to Billy Napier's team? Well, the Gators have officially added two more players this week, uh, Adam, and, uh, you know, a linebacker, uh, Deuce Spurlock from Michigan, uh, only spent one season up there. He was a guy who enrolled in summer, so he didn't even have spring football at Michigan. Uh, played in a couple of games, but he's from Alabama. Um, Louisiana had some interest in him when Napier was there before he came to Florida, so they had some relationship there, and and as we know, the transfer portal, guys, it's a year-to-year thing. Spurlock, uh, I guess he wanted to play more and looks at Florida. And, hey, Florida's got this coach I know down there and looks like a chance maybe to play sooner than later. So uh, they added uh, Deuce Spurlock from uh, Michigan. And then the other one, I think, is a guy they really needed, an offensive lineman from Baylor, uh, Mika Mag- 
and I'm probably going to butcher this last name, Mascua, uh, is how I think it's pronounced. But he's a two-year starter at Baylor. Um, He narrowed his choices down last week to transfer to either Nebraska or uh, Florida or uh, one other school. I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. But anyway, he chose Florida. Yes, that's a position of need. As we all know, guys, they've lost four starting offensive linemen since the end of last season. He had Osiris Torrance and Richard Garage declare for the draft, and then Michael Tarquin and Ethan White entered the transfer portal. So they need some bodies there, and they got one with some experience. And Mascou is an interior lineman, played mostly left guard at Baylor. Uh, really good in the running game, was one of the highest-rated guards in the country in the run game. So uh, that that's a guy who I would expect him to be in the starting lineup if healthy when they open the season at Utah. So that was an important uh, position of need for the Florida. And, of course, they're still out there. The transfer portal is, you know, still going to be open. Uh, it's, it actually never closes. It's like a 7-Eleven. It never closes. So <laughs> who knows? We'll, we'll have more guys to talk about, I'm sure, down the road. It was funny talking about personnel for the Gators. You also have this really weird phenomenon where a lot of the guys that are coming back to school that could have gone to the draft are all doing so at some of Florida's opponents. So Florida State's had a couple of big guys come back. Cameron Rising from Utah announced he's coming back. That's, of course, where Florida starts next season. So it's interesting to look at it from the other teams that on Florida's schedule from that perspective to see, oh, well, they're also getting stronger at the same time. We're looking to see what's happening for Florida. So it's 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 quite a phenomenon. And the Gators will have one of those of their own. We don't know what he's going to do yet, but Ricky Pierce saw, I think the cut line is January 18th, whether or not he's going to declare for the draft. Uh, last I heard, it sounded like, you know, there's a good chance he'll be back, but until it happens, you just don't know. You never know with this stuff. That's the, uh, the unfortunate reality of college football today. I want to turn our attention to gymnastics. And uh, Scott, we talked about last week, the first meet in the Odome, huge crowd, lots of energy for this team, top two ranking, another basically expectation of, of being down to the wire to have a chance to win the national title. Uh, talk about what went down the Odome and how it leads into a, an even bigger meet coming up this week. Yeah, I mean, well, the curtain went up at the Odome and the Gators answered the bell. I mean, they came out and had a really nice performance. You know, it was a, a meet that you knew they were they were heavily favored, but they didn't do anything to uh, put doubts in your mind that this team is capable of winning it all. Trinity Thomas, she only uh, competed in three of the events. They kept her off the floor, but she already got her first 10 of the season. 21st of her career, extending her program record. Uh, you got to see a lot of newcomers. Uh, Kayla Dacello, which is somebody that Gator fans are going to quickly get to know. She is very talented and, and kind of fits into the – the talent that they have on that roster very nicely. But talking about this Friday's uh, uh, meet, Adam, it is one of the biggest of the year for sure. As star power, I don't know if there's going to be any bigger because, you know, you've got Trinity Thomas, the reigning NCAA all-around national champion. And you got SUNY Lee of Auburn, who's already declared that this is going to be her final collegiate season. She's going to go back into the elite world and try to make the 2024 Olympic team uh, for the U.S., and she obviously was the all-around champion in the 21 Olympics in Tokyo. So uh, for Gator fans, it will be their only chance to see Suni Lee at the O-Dome. And, of course, Trinity Thomas and her uh, and her Gator friends. So uh, it's I'm going to expect another sellout crowd and a probably a little bit more energy in the, in the uh, 
O-Dome than last week with the SEC opener. Moving on to our PAT, this is not a PAT that I like. As a matter of fact, I, I hate it. it. It hurts me physically inside to be talking about this. But the reality is, after what we saw on Monday night, um, David Pollock declared, with Nick Saban notably sitting right next to him, that Georgia now runs college football. And I don't know that he's wrong. My question is, last year you could have said, okay, that's one that you know got one over on Saban. There were injuries. It's still Alabama. Uh, but now that it's happened back-to-back years and the way that it's trending for Georgia and the way that they're stockpiling and just reloading every single year, I dare to ask this question. But is it time now? Can it safely be said that Georgia has supplanted Alabama as the king of college football moving forward? It, you know, obviously it's a year-to-year sport, right, Adam? Uh, you know, right now, Georgia's clearly the, the head of the class in college football now for two straight years. First repeat champion since Alabama back in 2011 and 12. Um, but, you know, Alabama, after those titles, I think Mr. Saban's added, what, four more since then. So uh, you're going to look at Georgia now, if they are truly going to be, as your question poses, the new king of college football, they're going to have to do it on a a consistent level like Alabama has uh, for the last uh, 15 years. And I'm not counting Alabama and Nick Saban out. As long as Nick Saban's there and he's showing like he still wants to win, which he's not a guy that's just going to stay at Bama just to run out his contract. He's there for one purpose, and that's to win national titles. So uh, I'm certainly not counting them out. I think uh, the SEC is such a, a tough league. Uh, but what Georgia did and the way they did it against uh, TCU on Monday night, I mean, it was very impressive. I think it just amplified what Kirby Smart has going right now. I mean, he's built this tremendous program that I don't think there's been any program in college football in the last 20 years that probably compares except uh, Saban's Alabama teams uh, when they're when they're really good. So. So we'll see. I mean, it's a great challenge. It's something going to be uh, fun for us to watch. And it's going to be uh, also very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a, it's a challenge for the rest of the SEC for sure because yeah. uh, there's some separation there that, you know, we haven't seen uh, in back-to-backs in over a decade since that, you know, Alabama in 11 and 12. So, Well, I will give Georgia their props. They are <laughs> the two-time national champ, and they are the king until – we do this all over again a year from now. Now, do I think they have replaced Alabama at the top? I'm not so ready to put that into, uh, into uh, I guess, our our forum here. The Let me just record. say this. Yes, <laughs> a couple of things here. We're talking about two very significant kicking plays in college football this year. One, TCU is not playing for it all if they don't have the fire drill kick and success in the win over Baylor, by the way. True. And, oh, our good friends up there in Athens aren't playing for a national championship if Ohio State hits a kick late in the semifinal, and now we're not even having this conversation. So we're talking about two plays separating. Now, all of us here with our short-term memories realize what Georgia just did to TCU in the championship game, but let's look at the whole body of work a little bit. And that leans on what Scott was saying, too, about body of work being um, a decade and a half that Alabama had put together. 
So I would say that Georgia is now um, joining Alabama as the, the, the real royalty of college football. It's interesting for us in our conference because if we're still looking at the, the divisional world of the SEC, the West always had this, well, it's Alabama to run the West. If you want to get through the West, you got to go through Alabama. And then the East seemingly was this wide open mismatch for a while. Now, much like the West, there is a team in Georgia that has established itself as the true front runner, the leader of the Eastern Division. So in that sense, they have also put a foothold there, uh, just even divisionally or localizing this this conversation. So, look, there's no doubt that I I recognize Georgia as the champ and a two time champ and an impressive win in the national championship. But I'm not necessarily ready to, as as Scott said, uh, shove aside Alabama in favor of Georgia here. I just think that Georgia has placed itself in that conversation um, and maybe just taken Clemson's place here for the short term until they prove otherwise. Chris, we'll we'll let you close the topic. Uh, Has Georgia replaced Alabama as the new king of college football moving forward? Yes. See you next week, Adam. (laughs) I'm kind of surprised at at Scott and and Sean's answer. I mean, I mean, what do you, let's go back to, uh, we talked about sample sizes earlier. So it's a small sample size. What are is 28 and one a small sample size and no. two national champs, two national championships. And, uh, uh, the guys are recruiting Banshee, uh, on the trails. I mean, uh, they're stacking five stars on top of five stars and first round draft picks and put on, on top of first round draft picks. Um, I thought it was interesting. I think uh, I didn't see it, the thing, but I saw on Twitter pop up, Paul Feinbaum went on some kind of thing. Let's examine Nick Saban's record without Kirby Smart. Mm, okay, well, that takes it. That, that goes in a little bit to different direction. He's not exactly Belichick without Brady. No. But uh, let's just say Kirk, Kirby Smart is handling uh, his end just fine. It took a little while. He had to get his soldiers, as they say. And uh, they got enough soldiers to take to take over the college football world. I think they've done that. I'm not saying they're – I'm not going to sit here and pound my fist and say, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to win a third straight. But it didn't take long for the uh, so-called experts out there – to start rolling out the uh, way too early top 25 and and Georgia's the favorite to win it again. Of course they are. That's, you know, usually the team that does, it has a bunch of guys coming back is. So um, I'll go against my colleagues here and say uh, Georgia's who we're taking aim at, uh, the college world is taking aim at now. Of course, that's been the case at Florida for uh, going on 100 years, but that's, you know, that's okay. That's it. It just makes the rivalry that much better. It makes the hype that much more, be- that much better for uh next October or November, whenever the hell it is in Jacksonville. Yeah, and that's why I, I would lean to agreeing with you, Chris, which is why I thought of the question. Um, uh, doing it over the course of two seasons, doing it with almost an entirely different cast of characters and showing that you can your depth at every position is so strong. It doesn't matter who leaves. You could be as good or maybe get better. And the other part I think you have to factor in is Kirby Smart's pretty young. And he is an alum. He has no interest in the NFL. His number one, the thing he values most in coaching is the recruiting piece. I know because being in Atlanta, I know a lot of people close to the Georgia program who say that Kirby is number one. It's all about recruiting. Everything else comes second to him. You can't really recruit in the NFL. So that's why it's almost as if it's Saban. When you consider Saban's age and where he is in his career, look at where Kirby is in his age and what he is building and consider the East as well. Consider the makeup of the SEC East, the path he has. There's little reason to believe that Alabama, in my mind, can retake that crown. Now, they, it was it was almost like once the dam broke, 
Saban could only hold it off for so long. Yeah, and, and I think you can, you can if you want to make the argument. Uh, let's see how they do without Stetson Bennett. You know, maybe True. Stetson Bennett is is Tom Brady and Bill Belichick kind of thing. You know, and and we know that Georgia has signed some marquee quarterbacks before that haven't stuck around. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, bounced all over, bounced all over the country. Uh, you know, all you know, five star offensive player of the years, nationally kind of kind of guys. And Stetson Bennett beat them all out. So um, they'll have to hand the ball uh, to somebody else next season. And but I'm 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 willing to bet there's some talent in the in the QB room that they have to work with. So uh, uh, I'm I'm going to still still uh, stick with my with my positing. I think. Well, time will tell on uh, on whether or not Georgia is the the new king. But certainly to a lot of people, including half of us here on this call, it does appear that way. Um, but gentlemen, thank you so much for your input, your insight as always. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, Adam. Women's basketball is an international sport, and more and more frequently, we're seeing players from all over the world migrate to play collegiately here in the States. That's certainly been the case for the Gators, who in the last year alone had players from Brazil, the Netherlands, and Australia simultaneously on their roster. The global flavor on this year's squad comes from Bertie Rimdahl, a sophomore from Denmark who has a reputation for burning up the nets from deep. We spoke to the Dane about her love for basketball and how it brought her all the way to the other side of the world. I am from Denmark, a little city outside of Copenhagen. Um, my, I have two biological siblings, um, one big sister and one younger brother. And my parents are divorced, so I have um, a lot of bonus siblings, which is really nice. I love my extended family, so it's, I have a big family. One, two, three, four bonus siblings. Wow. Um, yeah, and I love all of them, and my whole family is very supportive. So when did you start playing basketball? When did that become a, a big part of your life? I started playing basketball like official when in second grade, but I've always been around it because my dad, he played basketball, so I was always in the gym when he played and like shot in the halftime of his games and whatever. And my big sister also played. And now my brother does too. So. Oh, wow. Did you gravitate toward it because you saw them doing it? Or did he get you started pretty early? Did he put a ball in your hands, tell you to go shoot? Like where did the, where did the love for it come from? So I guess I've always looked up to my dad a lot. And just being with him in the gym always just kind of made me love it but he was also my first coach so he made like he created the first team for me and my friends like from school and stuff and and I just fell in love with it I mean it was with all my good friends and I'm very competitive and it was like it was very competitive it is also when I was very young so now you're known as a uh, as a sharpshooter were you always a great shooter or did that part come later and you were just focused on you know, being out on, on the court in general? Uh, um, I think I've always been good at shooting. I mean, I always put a lot of work into shooting because I think it's really fun. I could just stand outside and shoot on my basket for hours when mm-hmm. I was young. I could still, but yeah. <laughs> say, you probably still do that a lot now. Um, yeah, not outside though. Inside. Right, 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 right. <laughs> What kind of exercises did you do to really develop that? Like, did you have a thing where, 
okay, I'm, I'm not going in for the day until I make 10 threes in a row or I have to hit X number of shots from this spot. Like, did you have something like some routine that you did that, that really helped you get so much better at it? So I have a lot of, I have done a lot of um, difficult like shooting stuff like and I never like quit. So if I tell myself so at, at one point I did something like I have to get like 10 in a row each spot or something mm-hmm. in or eight in a row. And if I miss two, I have to go back to the mm. like. Uh, yeah, but I'm like, I won't leave until I've done it. So sometimes if it's not going well, I can just stay. But yeah, I don't know if there's like one specific drill I've like done a lot like always but a lot of yeah gotta make this number of shots or i'm not going anywhere and then i that's i definitely understand that yeah um so how big is basketball in denmark a lot of times with with international athletes sometimes the reason that they came here is because it just there wasn't that big of a of a market for it so to speak so how big a part of the culture is basketball basketball is not the biggest sport at all in denmark the it's more like handball and soccer like that's two really big sports in denmark so but it is like a growing sport i would say but it's not that big at all so as you continued developing as a player what options did you have to continue your basketball career like is playing at universities is that a thing there as it is over here or is it, is it a different path if you want to continue playing basketball? I started playing in my uh, like hometown club. Mm-hmm. You don't play high school or anything in Europe. You play like a club team. So school schools don't have teams? No, schools don't okay. have teams. So I played for my club team um, in my hometown for like a long time until I started high school. Because that's when it got like serious. You could, I could choose to go to a high school where I could go with other athletes, uh, national teams like swimming, like other sports. Right. And, right. And then there was some from my team who didn't want to do that, and I was like, oh, well, I want to do this really serious. And and then there was this other club team in Denmark who had asked me. The coach had asked me if I wanted to join them, and that's like three hours away from where I live. Wow. So I decided, I was 15, so I decided to like move away from my family to go to school there. And like, it was a better team and a better like program for me. Um, so yeah, when I was 15, I kind of moved away from home, um, even though it was only three hours and I got to go home like a lot. But that definitely helped me like, develop like on the court and off the court too mm-hmm. and it all made the transition a lot easier to the states mm-hmm. because i was already used to living away from home but a lot of women from the place basketball in denmark they go to the states to play college because it's a great opportunity to get an education and a great like like a very professional basketball experience mm-hmm. um some people go pro like to Europe right away, but it's more common to go to college. So you said that's the the pipeline for a lot of players over in in Europe, especially. Um, how did how did UF get on your radar? Like, I'm I'm trying to understand how recruiting works there because normally it's like, oh, 
you know, they go to some showcase and you see some athletes that are from Florida, Georgia, whoever. This is, uh, you came from a lot further than, than Georgia for, for this. So I'm curious how, how the process sort of went. So when I was 12 years old or something, we were on a vacation in U.S. And we saw this school, not like on a visit or anything. We just saw it. And I just kind of fell in love with it there. I knew that I wanted to go to college, like that I wanted to go to college already at that age. Uh, so I kind of just fell in love with it there. But the way people recruit me and see me um, is because I played national team. Mm-hmm. So we played like European championship and stuff like that. And I did, I had, a, I had some good uh, tournaments there. So that's where people like, reach out to me and see me uh, so I talk to a lot of coaches like on FaceTime and stuff. So how did you ultimately decide to come to Florida? What was it that, that sealed the deal for you? Uh, yeah, so as I told, like I already had like some kind of love for it before uh, they even reached out. And I just, it honestly was just my gut feeling that I was like, okay, this is a good place for me. But it was also like, the coaching staff and Kelly, um, it just seemed very genuine. And I wanted to come to a, a good program, but also a program that we could as a team, like build up a little more. I don't know how to say it, but yeah, just be a part of something that's going to be great, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So I, I always like to ask athletes from uh, from around the world this question, and the answers are always wildly different. Um, but what kind of culture shock did you experience when you got here, yeah. and how and how did you get through it? Uh, it's a lot different from Denmark. Um, I experienced like first the food is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot more fat, fast food and a lot more fat and stuff. <laughs> And also, uh, the people are different in some way, not in a bad way at all. Like, I love the people over here. There's a lot of variety. I don't know how to say it, but like, it's like, there's a lot of different people. Like, I I really love that. And one thing I really got a shock about was the plastic use. (laughs) Like, people here just use plastic like it don't mean anything. Because in Denmark, a plastic like plastic cups and plastic straws and plastic bags is like illegal. Like oh, you wow. can't buy it. Like if you go to a supermarket, you need to bring your own bag or you need to buy like a reusable something bag. Interesting. So, yeah. So it was kind of crazy to me to see how nothing has been done to yeah. plastic. That's interesting. So yeah. are there parts of, I'm sure at this point, once you've you've been here long enough, there's things that you you know you you take to that you like, and there's probably other things that that still don't work for you. So what are what are some things about American culture that uh, that you've embraced and you're you know wanting to take back home with you? And what yeah. are the ones that you're like that, that I'm never going to be into this. This is never going to work for me. Okay, so um, there is a lot of things I like. I love how um, I feel like people are very like. Um, open i don't know like if you see one person every like even if i don't know the person they're like hi how are you mm-hmm. even though they don't really care about how i am but you know <laughs> what I, no but it's in the beginning yeah, i was like yeah. what because that's not i would like people don't greet each other if they don't know each other at home interesting or something. Yeah. and i like that um and oh there was another thing oh yeah i really like 
the love for sport over here. I don't know how to say it, but the exposure is just a lot bigger, kind mm -hmm. of because people are so into every sport. I mean, they are in Denmark, but it's like on a very low key yeah. way. Here's very high key. Yeah. Uh, and the thing I won't adapt to is the plastic thing. I really <laughs> don't like. It. Still the plastic. Still the plastic. I really don't like that. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to make some changes here. <laughs> I say you need to go to California. California, it's way less plastic in California than in Florida. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can change it here. You just got. It's gonna take some time. It's gonna take some yeah. time. Um, you mentioned working and playing with the, your national team and being able to really go all over the world. Uh, I'm curious, what are some of the most memorable experiences that you've had as a, a result of being on the national team? Uh, we won the European Championship under 16 when that was my first, I think. Hmm. Uh, that was really cool. Um, but also... I got selected to an NBA camp. It's called Basketball Without Borders mm -hmm. um, with all the best athletes from Europe where there was like NBA players, NBA coaches and stuff. That was so very cool. And then I got selected from that camp to a camp in Chicago with like the best players from the whole world mm. that's like uh, you've seen play against like national team and stuff. Um, that was very nice. And like we were at the All-Star Weekend NBA and oh, yeah cool. so that was probably one of my yeah, yeah biggest experiences what about places that you've gotten to go what's the what's the most exciting country or city that you've been able to visit that you still think about to this day does it have to be with basketball no it could be anywhere oh okay uh when I was younger me and my family we visited Sri Lanka oh wow in Asia yeah uh that's like probably one of the best experiences I've had vacation wise because it was so different and the culture was so different but it was so like such a great experience because the people were just amazing like they were so open and yeah I can't explain it was just mm. like such an amazing experience what other places are, are on your bucket list I'm sure you've been to a lot of them um, but are there some countries you still really want to visit that you're you're hoping you get a chance to? Uh, so I have been a lot of places. Yeah. Uh, but I would love to go to. Uh, so I want to visit all the continents. So I want to go to Australia and I want to go to a country in Africa too. So are you also are you are you going all in? Are you willing to go to Antarctica or is that a little too far for you? Ah, uh, so I thought about that and I think that. No, probably not. I don't really <laughs> like the cold. We may be we may be going just six out of seven here. Yeah, maybe six out of seven. <laughs> um, yeah. Outside of basketball, what do you like to do in, in your free time and school? So if take out school, take out basketball, what do you like to do okay. when you have free time? Uh, I like to hang out with my friends. I love to go to the pool. I love like I love being outside and I love this Florida weather. Um the heat and the sun so yeah I, I love being in the nature going for walks what are you able to do that, that reminds you of home are there any things you've been able to sort of bring here or something that's similar to something you would do at home i mean sometimes i get like it's very cozy 
in Denmark. So if I'm like, I can't, I can't even remember anything. But sometimes I get like a déjà vu or something where I'm like, oh, this reminds me of home. If it's like mm -hmm. really cozy and nice. A couple final things for you, bringing things back to the court. You know, last year, this team really caught a lot of people by surprise. And, you know, you went on a run where it was you're beating lots of ranked teams. And uh, to a large degree, people didn't expect it, right? This year, now that people know what you guys are able to do, has that have you felt a difference there in, in the way you guys are competing in what other teams are bringing to the court? Like they recognize the talent, the ability that you guys have and, and they approach the game differently. Have you felt that at all? Um, the only thing I would say that we feel as a team is probably that we're, that we're more confident in our own abilities and like, we know what we can do. Um, um, like last year, we were sure about we could do the same. Like we know we're a good team and we were confident too. But I feel like this year we we set a standard last year and we know we can do that. So we just want to be even better this year and to go even further. In terms of your growth individually as part of this team, where do you think that you've improved the most this season and where are you most focused on improving in the future? Yeah. So uh, I feel from freshman season to sophomore season, I gained a lot of confidence. And I think that was one of the main things I lacked last year. Um, so definitely my growth and confidence have also like made me grow my game because I'm more confident in everything I do. So I've grown to um, like take some shots I probably wouldn't have taken last year and uh, have a more, I have a bigger role on the team this year um, on the court, but also as a leader. Um, and that's also one of the things I want to improve on more is being a better and a more vocal leader. Well, Bertie, thank you so much for your time. We wish you a lot of luck the rest of the year, and, and we hope that you encounter as little plastic as possible. <laughs> thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.